text for today comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm sure you will recognize the text as soon as it's read, as it is a commonly used text, not only in service, but also in what we teach in our Sunday school classes. So listen to this text from Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. When this text popped up into the lectionary for this week, I did a Google search for sermons on the armor of God. Step one, never do a Google search on any sermons that are out there. They're usually not very good. Any guesses on the most common theme that is preached about? Far and away, by a massive proportion, the focus is on spiritual warfare. Cosmic, big, demonic, spiritual warfare. You can see where it comes from in the text, right? Paul says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are sermons aplenty on the war that is taking place for our souls, this war against good and evil, which isn't all bad. It's an important point. The issue that I have with this approach is the scope of these sermons, this great cosmic battle, loses touch with the rest of the letter of Ephesians. Again, not that there's not some truth in those sermons, not that the theme is bad, I don't disagree with the importance. The problem is that it treats this section in Ephesians as though Paul all of a sudden took a left turn and started talking about something completely different without so much as a transition. Ephesians becomes this book that has something to do with our souls, and that's it. There's a battle taking place in heaven, so we need to take care of our souls. We need to pray more. We need to read our Bible more and be more righteous, be more pure. So you and God get down to it, and you'll be all right. That means it's all about you, 
you and God, just you and God, which is fine, but it is the exact opposite of the rest of Ephesians. Let me show you. If you rewind to Ephesians chapter 2, this is where Paul has really gotten going. This is where Paul stops just writing, but he's actually preaching now. You can feel it. In this little text in Ephesians 2, Paul writes this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of two, thus making peace. He might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is centered on reconciliation. He wants them and us to understand that we have been brought near to God. And because we've been brought near to God, we've been brought near to each other. So take a look at those beside you and take a look at those around you and think about the people in this community. We have been brought near to each other for better and for worse. God has established peace between people who were enemies. The hostility between us is gone. If that is the point, then why would Paul end his book with armor imagery? I thought this book was about tearing down the walls of hostility. Putting on armor would suggest fighting against each other, not finding reconciliation or peace. Which is why Paul starts this letter the end of this letter by saying, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. He has spent this whole letter writing about reconciliation, about how God is making us all into one humanity in Christ. And he knows that if you start talking about armor, people are going to start thinking about wars, start thinking about battle with other people. So he says, listen, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about being at war with temptation, being at war with sinfulness, being at war with injustices. We are at war, but not against flesh and blood, but with evil itself. That's a tough battle to fight, fighting evil. How do you battle that? How do you battle doubt? How do you battle lust? How do you battle pride? How do you battle things that are inside of us? So, when we get these grand visions of cosmic warfare, we can miss that this battle is happening on a very local level. Is it the temptation to be a warlord that trips you up most days, makes you sin? Or is it the still dirty dishes on the counter that makes you snap? Isn't it a coworker? Isn't it thinking you deserve something and not being able to get it? I'm not going to spend too much time trying to list all of the sins that we have. I think we generally know those already. You know them. They're hiding in the dark corners of our hearts. So this is what Paul is answering. Paul sets a really high standard for this church at Ephesus to live up to, living as one humanity without hostility in Christ. 
that is a high standard for the church to live into. The heart of Ephesians is about reconciliation. So Paul finishes his letter with what he considers most important for the church at Ephesus, living into that reconciled identity. You see, putting on the armor of God is in service to being able to live in that reconciled identity. Armor of God is profoundly practical. It's about being able to live together as God is inviting us to and God is expecting us to. It's all built into this image of armor. To prove it, let's look at the hypothetical life of Timmy. Timmy wakes up. He's got a busy day ahead of him, but he's really convicted about his need for a devotional life. So he sits down for a minute and prays and flips through the Bible and reads a couple passages. He eats breakfast and he's off to work. Things take a turn before Timmy even makes it to the door. He rolls his ankle on one of his kid's toys. And so as Timmy settles into his car, he's feeling like the world has it out for him today. He spends more of his drive to work than he would like to admit, complaining about how much better his wife and kids could do cleaning up, especially with how hard he works. By the time he's settled in at work, he's forgotten his brief prayer before breakfast. When he gets an email from a client who's frustrated with his company's performance, he takes out his own morning frustration on this client. He feels personally attacked, so he chews them out. While momentarily satisfying, Timmy begins to feel guilty. At lunch with a friend from work, his friend begins talking about some issues with his wife. They haven't been communicating well lately. While Timmy has some thoughts on the matter, his frustrations with his own wife that morning lead him to encourage his friend's frustration. So they spend their lunchtime complaining about their spouses. He goes home, already thinking about how frustrating his life can be. He's short with his family. He lets them know how hard his day has been. And as he sits down at the TV, ashamed of how he's treated his wife and kids, frustrated by a missed opportunity to help somebody at work, feeling guilty about a response to a client, he wonders why he bothered to pray at all that morning. It didn't seem to work. Which is how Timmy's day went. It's not an unreasonable day. We've been there, haven't we? We know how these things build over the course of a day. Well, Timmy spent time that morning in prayer. By the time he got home, he was open. Open for what? For whatever life had coming. He's wide open to react poorly with his kids, to share his frustration with the client, to compound a friend's problems at home. And then, on top of that, there are curveballs that life will throw you. Moments we're not expecting. Sudden illness or loss, an excuse to misuse money, a relationship that can slip from appropriate to inappropriate. If we aren't ready when these moments come, if we're not prepared, it's too late to put the armor on. These things will happen anyway. They won't wait. They will take their toll on us. They will take their toll on our relationship with each other. And they will take their toll on our relationship with God. Armor, you see, is a very appropriate metaphor for spiritual preparation. Armor is something that takes a while to put on. 
It's not something you can throw on in the heat of battle. It's something you put on in advance, like confidence in our faith or a spiritual foundation for our relationships when we need them, when we need them now. It's too late to build it. We'll have to weather that storm without the protection that our spiritual armor is intended to give. And with ancient armor, as well as lots of modern armor, it's something you don't put on alone. You need someone else to help you buckle the buckles tight to make sure the breastplate is lined up to be protected, to be secure. You would need somebody to help you put it on. Armor, something that you put on in advance, and it's something you put on together. It's also not designed to protect a solo soldier. The ancient armor Paul is thinking is designed only to protect the front. The idea is that you have a comrade who stands beside you and behind you. You need someone to help you put the armor on, and you need people around you to make the armor work. Armor is about the ministry of reconciliation. It is about working together. So when Paul says, put on the armor of God, he's saying, do it daily. Do it together. Plan to stand beside each other, and people will know that you are working for the same God. Before we revisit Timmy, let me say this. Wearing armor doesn't mean you don't get hurt. It never has. If you're praying right, if your support system is up, if you're reading scripture and going to worship, it doesn't mean life won't hit you with curveballs. It doesn't mean that some of them won't hit you square between the eyes. We are told that God will not tempt us beyond what we can handle. When we wear the armor of God, we can trust that we will not be overcome. Life still hurts, but you will not be overcome. So let's revisit Timmy. Instead of Timmy just reading his Bible today, Timmy has been reading it consistently for over a month. Additionally, he started preparing for this morning three days ago at a couple's fellowship group. He's been attending weekly with his wife and last week in a conversation with his spiritual mentor that he's come to trust. He's laid foundations by praying with his children and his wife at night. So when he wakes up that morning, he has a list of prayer concerns that he's been working over, including his wife and his kids and his co-workers. He reads a short passage of scripture, one that the couples group had been reading, and it reminds him of some insights they'd had. He steps on a toy that his kid left out. He still rolls his ankle. He is still frustrated by it. But with those prayers for his wife fresh on his mind, his second thought was for her, for how hard she's been working. So he picks the toy up and he puts it away. Sitting down in his car, he's reminded of a practice that his mentor has him doing, memorizing a verse a week on his ride to work when he has nothing else to do. So he starts mumbling this verse over to himself. By the time he's pulled into the office, he's forgotten about the toy, he's forgotten about the rolled ankle, and walks in with scripture on his lips. When he gets an email from a client who's frustrated with his company's performance, he is frustrated. 
but he's able to not take the critique personally. Struck with patience he usually doesn't have, he responds with respect. At lunch with a friend from work, his friend begins complaining about how him and his wife are having issues at home. When his friend starts to vent, Timmy says, you know what, I go to a fellowship group with my wife. Why don't the two of you come join us next week? Driving towards the chaos of home, he's still exhausted from a long day of work, but he prays for his children and for himself and for his wife. The difference between these two days is huge. It starts small, but it grows, which is how life works. Timmy puts on the armor of God through a morning devotional, through a fellowship group, through praying with his family. Nothing complicated, nothing fancy, just small habits that stack on each other to change how we perceive the day. When we put on the armor of God together, we pick up our ministry of reconciliation. We see that we need other people to help us fight. Fight not against flesh and blood, not against each other, not against our wives, our children, our co-workers. This armor that we wear equips us to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to each other, not against each other. It teaches us to depend on one another, to buckle and strap us and lace us in. It teaches us to depend on each other, to stand behind us and beside us and fight together against lies and temptations and disbeliefs and doubts. Paul's message to the church at Ephesus is still one of reconciliation. He is still hoping to band together this group of people, this church and show them how they need to fight together side by side. Putting on the armor of God is no easy task. We need friends for that. Putting on the armor of God is not a last-ditch effort. We need to put it on in advance. Strapped and belted and laced into those small life habits that will keep us protected. I had a pastor once explain our ministry of reconciliation like this. Go back to kindergarten or elementary school. If you were fortunate enough to have a birthday during the school year, chances are that you would take cupcakes to school and you would share them with all of your classmates. As a kindergartner, there's a good chance you didn't make the cupcakes by yourself. I hope not, at least. Your mom or dad or someone at the house would help you make these cupcakes. You would take those cupcakes that someone else made for you, and you would take them to school to share with everyone else. You take cupcakes you don't really deserve. All you did was be born. The one who probably deserves those cupcakes, in my opinion, is your mother. Now, the rule is that you could bring cupcakes to class, but you had to bring cupcakes for everyone in the class. So you walk around the classroom and little Sally got a cupcake even if you weren't friends with her and little Joe got a cupcake even if he annoyed the stew out of you. Your nemesis in the class as a kindergartner, sometimes you have a nemesis, in the class would get a cupcake and your best friend got a cupcake. Everyone was invited to participate in the celebration of your birthday. Your mom shared those cupcakes with you and you took them out and shared them with everyone in the class. Everyone in 
the class. Putting on the armor of God is not about putting on armor to fight those around you. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Putting on the armor of God is more like a kindergartner sharing cupcakes with his classmates, giving to everyone something he didn't even deserve. Now, sharing the cupcake is fine and well when you have a teacher making you do it. But when you have a coworker who refuses to work, when you have a child who can effortlessly push all of your buttons at once, when you have enemies who despise your way of life, sharing the cupcake is hard. Our temptation in those moments is to armor up and to fight those around us, to protect ourselves. But God gives us armor to share what we never deserved. Salvation. Reconciliation. There's a reason Jesus went into the desert to pray. There's a reason the Last Supper was with his friend. There's a reason he sang the Psalms and recited scripture. It was a long, hard road to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus looked naked. The Romans stripped him, and he looked naked. But he was clothed, clothed in the armor of God. Stripped of clothes, but in God's armor, Jesus was even able to yell out on the cross, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Until the end, Jesus was focused on reconciliation, focused on reconciliation because his Father in heaven had given him that ministry. Until the end, Jesus was intent on sharing with everyone else what we don't deserve. He was intent on sharing the cupcake. Reconciliation is hard. That's why God gives us armor. So grab a friend, put on the armor of God, and go out to share the cupcake.